Canada Academy and into the into the Canada uh, main team. So that's what we you'd like to see is that they, you'd have a more more Dennis Buckley's and Jack Carty's and uh, people uh, uh, like that coming through the system and uh, coming through the club 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 system. And as you rightly said earlier in your comments, that with the various uh, kind of squads that are pulled together uh, for, at youth level. Uh, of the top talent within within clubs uh, across the province, that, that that can only help to to see the potential going forward of of, of these players. And you know, in the next couple of weeks, uh, Craig's will have probably five or six players themselves on the kind of juniors, and the kind of juniors have, will have three three big fixtures. Uh, they play they uh, play Leinster down in Port Leash. Um, they uh, they play Munster in Chum. And they play Ulster in um, in in Connemara, so it will be it will be um, uh, a big a big weekend uh, there for a big uh, three three weeks coming up. Now there will be big weekends for the kind of juniors and for the 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 Craig's lads that their uh, season isn't over yet. Uh, seeing that they're going to be involved now with kind of juniors. That'll be great, and we'd like to wish them all the best of luck. And uh, talk about Connacht there. Um, we, we, that's what we have now. Next up is uh, what's going on in Connacht rugby. Obviously, the first team. Um, I suppose that that's winding that's winding down to an end now. I suppose with the the end of the season is coming as well. And also, what's going on with the underage structure in uh, in Connacht underage t- Connacht teams as well. Yeah, well, the the big the big team of horses, the the Connacht's. Uh, uh, in the URC now, and uh, they they have two uh, two games left. Uh, one against uh, the home fixture uh, this weekend, this Saturday against Cardiff. This is an extremely important game for for Connacht that they have to win um, because they they're lying sixth place at the moment, and it's very important that they they, they do uh, uh, t- take take this game to. So that they will have uh, Champions Cup rugby uh, next season. That that is the important thing, and that is the aim of the competition at the at the present time. And it does look good that the Connacht squad will uh, will have the Jack Carty and Dennis Buckley back for for this weekend. And let's hope that a few more players uh, that had knocks and that they will will make it to strengthen the panel. That the coach coaches will will have a bigger panel too. Uh, to select from, so that, you know that there are two big fixtures: uh, Cardiff, Cardiff at home uh, this Saturday, and then they're they're away. Their last fixture is away to Glasgow, which won't be an easy fixture. Glasgow have a lot of Scottish internationals on the on the team as well, and either with Cardiff, I see I see Cardiff playing in the the European Challenge Cup uh, last week, and you know they're 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 a tough side and. They they have got the upper hand of of uh, Connacht on a number of occasions in the past, and you know Connacht will will definitely have to be on the money to to uh, to win that one. So uh, let's hope the crowd uh, will be good in the sports ground on Saturday and get behind the team. And of course, we we all know uh, what sort of great um, atmosphere that that can go on in the sports grounds. Uh, you know, on a big when there when there's a big game like that on. And uh, yeah, so finally we move on to the, the women's Six Nations. And uh, has there been any has there been any improvement in in Ireland's fortunes in the Six Nations? 
Well, it was uh, last weekend. Um, it was a free weekend. Uh, this weekend, uh, the, the, they're out against Italy, and um, we, uh, you know, we wait and see. We hope, we hope that at least that they, they have a Italy and Scotland would be would be two of the games that you would like that they, they would be able to take. Uh, they be tough. There'll be tough games, but you'd be hoping that you would see an improved performance uh, in them particular games. So, uh, England, um, England will be will at home will be an extremely tough fixture for them. But uh, you know, would be we just have to weigh up what what the situation. They're a, a very young side. A very you know, a lot of them haven't played that much rugby. They're, they're I think the. On average, uh, it says there's only about six caps that all the players would have a maximum, and you know that shows that they're 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 a young team, uh, and the 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 coach and management, the way they're looking at it, is to try and bring a squad of players of young players that will be young enough when the next World Cup comes around. So ho- hopefully that that works out for them, but unfortunately they they'll take a bit of pain. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, and you know, because other other teams are are way ahead in their uh, their their performance and their preparations uh, in comparison to Ireland at, at the moment. That's it, and uh, I suppose really, you know, like in this development period, like you said, I suppose uh, before the before the light comes comes darkness, and I suppose you have to go through the. The, the darkness to kind of appreciate the, the the good times as in the light, you know, like when it comes to that, it's like, you know, you, you see in hurling or football, sometimes you have to lose a few, an All-Ireland or two to win an All-Ireland or two and know how it feels to lose. It's kind of, it's kind of like that with the, with the Ireland team because it, it's all like a learning curve really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Ian, you know, and, uh, um, you know, it, it's it's important uh, in at the same time that if you you know if you lose games that you learn from it and that you learn from the mistakes that you make, what you can do better and how how uh, uh, best moving forward together that you that you can get gel the team and that they're together. It's not good. It's not good to see them get uh, losing badly. Uh, that that's bad for morale, but. Let's hope that uh, they will have better luck in the next couple of games. That's it. And I suppose really, um, you know, we, we have said this uh, kind of over the last couple of weeks as well. You know, they are missing their sevens. But, uh, you know, it's great to have the sevens when they're there. But I suppose we have to get to a stage where we're not as dependent on them. You know, when they're doing playing sevens rugby with Ireland or whatever, you know, that we have. And we mentioned it kind of last week as well. You know that we have a structure that you know when the sevens players aren't there that we have a good good enough group of players when it comes to Six Nations when it comes to when it comes to World Cups and things like that that we're not kind of in that doldrums if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know the the idea in an ideal world, uh, Ian, you're absolutely uh, spot on that you you, you would need a, a separate. Uh, 15 team squad and, and a squad for the other seven separately as well. So that's probably the, the aim in the long term is to widen, widen the squad of players so that you, you would be able to benefit from that. And then, you know, some players can uh, go between the two, um, when, when available. 
and you know that we would like to see you now with the structures that are put in place uh, for women's rugby that that the whole setup uh, will improve. They have to take a, the women themselves have to take a certain amount of responsibility uh, to put in the effort in order to get the, the performances um, uh, at international level. That's it. Well, listen, thanks very much for taking the time out to do a rugby view and we'll uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you very much, Ian. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was uh, Adrian Leddy from Craig's Rugby Club. Hello everyone, how are you doing? You're welcome back to uh, Friday Sport with myself, Aidan Raftery and uh, the show is always kindly sponsored by Best Drive here in Roscommon Town. We'd like to thank them for their kind support. And just a, um, a bit a bit of go- good news there, headlines uh, going that uh, Costello strikes gold in Scotland. Olivia Costello has won the uh, Scottish Girls Open at, uh, at uh, London... London links um, a county Roscommon golfer has chalked up uh, one of the biggest victories in her young career by winning a prestigious uh, international tournament in Scotland this afternoon so uh, the future is bright and of course uh, another Roscommon uh, successful Roscommon sports person coming through the ranks there so it's great to see all the success um, all the successful uh, Roscommon sports people coming through there so we'd like to wish her all the best and uh, congratulate her on her uh, fine win and uh, fair play to her and uh, just to give you one more another reminder there of the vintage car and tractor run on uh, Sunday the 16th of April at 1.30 from starting off at the Kilbride Community Centre and uh, the registration for this event is at 12.30 and there's a raffle on the day as well. All proceeds all proceeds uh, will go to Skullbridge uh, Parents Association who want to raise funds for a, sens- a sensory garden so um, that's a very worthy cause there so why not uh, support that uh, go along on Sunday uh, from one- and the event starts at uh, 1.30 as I said and uh, registration is at 12.30 so uh, well done to all uh, involved in that and the best, look of, the best of luck to all taking part and uh, next up we have League of Ireland chat with myself and uh, Robbie Mulvey and that's coming up now Hello everyone, how are you doing? You're very welcome to this week's League of Ireland chat with myself, Aidan Rafferty and as, as always on board we have Robbie Mulvey from uh, Atlone Community Radio talking about all things League of Ireland. Hello Robbie, how are you doing? Are you well? Yeah, good evening yourself. Not too bad. Great to have you on board. And as always, there's plenty to cover this week. And uh, we'll, we'll be starting uh, locally with Athlone Town. And uh, Athlone Town host, uh, Cobra. The last win came against Kerry about uh, three weeks ago. I think they, they obviously uh, were beaten uh, by Co- uh, sorry by Bray Wonders last weekend. Pretty disappointing performance, I thought. First half they did okay, but the second half... They really couldn't string two or three passes together, and it really took them a long time to get going. There was a bit of a side plot to that whole situation, though, because news came out after the game that manager Thurman Lennon decided to step away. Of course, he was brought in as an interim manager uh, to kind of keep things going after um, the, the previous manager stepped down, and obviously things have kind of moved on a little bit. They had a good end to last season. They had a couple of really good results and maybe the idea was that they, they thought they could keep Dermot and the team together to try and keep that going. Now, obviously, they did start very well with a win over Longford Town and 
they beat uh, Finn Harps as well. Uh, Finn Harps would have been seen as one of the contenders to get promoted this year after coming down. So a really good start to the season. But over the last couple of weeks, they have started to fall off a little bit. They had defeats to Wexford Youth. Uh, obviously, they were beaten by uh, Brave Wonders uh, a week ago. And they've had a couple of really disappointing performances. But, you know, um, I think they're going to be looking to sort out the managerial situation over the next few weeks. Apparently, Gordon Brett is the favourite to take over the position. Now, Gordon is a is a, is a uh, guy who has had an extensive history with the Drone Town as both a player. He manages one of the uh, underage academy sides, so he'd know the club extremely well. The players would know Gordon extremely well, and you'd imagine that he would. Uh, he's been in the background as well with uh, Thurman Lennon over the last couple of months, so. Um, it, it, it'd be uh, a fairly seamless transition for Gordon to step in and take the position as the manager. We've uh, also had some very interesting uh, management in the background. Last week, uh, Dario Castello, who is part of uh, at Long Town's link-up team in America called Alio Football Club, they uh, are also uh, they are also, uh, he was also on the bench last weekend. Uh, versus uh, Bray Wonders. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of part he plays over the next couple of weeks. Uh, he could yet be a contender as well for the managerial position, but um, that, that's obviously they're still in the early early stages of their link-up with the Leo Football Club in America, so maybe it might be a little bit too early to see any kind of influence there, but um, Gordon Brett is the early favourite to take over as the new manager, but again, we're at... Um, we're going to have to wait and see over the next couple of weeks how that kind of uh, sets out or sets uh, sets itself out. I think for tonight, um, there's still no word as to who the managerial team is, but you'd imagine Gordon Brett would be uh, taking over as interim manager before he is uh, before he is eventually uh, named as the senior manager or the full-time senior manager. But again. That is just speculation right now. And I suppose, really, you know, with Gordon Brett, and as, as you've just said there, he, he, he was managing, or he is managing um, one of the youth sides uh, with Atlone Town. If he gets this job, or when he, when he, uh, when he signs on for this job, you, you know, with that in mind, you, you nearly kind of think he'd be the type of lad that would bring some of those youth players through. Obviously, not all at once, but kind of incrementally, you know, some of the, some of the good players and, and mix some of the... The, the experienced players that are there already and bring some through, through through some of those players that he feels are ready at youth level? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't think that too too much. I don't think... Uh, I believe it's involved with the under-14 side, so... I think be it a while, be so... <laughs> yeah. A little bit early to be thinking about bringing those guys through, although uh, the 15s and the 14s are having a very good season, but that's uh, another story. I think, basically, I would imagine he's going to be looking at bringing in um, some experience, uh, um, you know. Obviously, the whole point of trying to develop the team is to make it more consistent and, and get it onto uh, a playing field whereby the team is an attractive option for players to want to come and, and join. Um, obviously, again, I mentioned it before. They've got that link up with Leo Football Club in America, so maybe they might look to bring in some players from uh, the uh, the American side of things. Obviously, we, it it looks like. It looks like the uh, the Barcelona football team at the moment. With we've got uh, guys from Honduras, we've got guys from uh, America, we've got guys from uh, Ukraine, we've got guys from all around the world uh, at the moment. We've got Dutch guys as well. So 
you know, it is it is bringing a bit of a different flavor to the team at the moment, which is a good thing. But it's it's just really about you know getting that consistency level up there. And I think at the moment it's really I think that, you know it's going to take maybe a year or two before you see this team begin to develop a, a brand identity. And I think that's really the what the the issue is right now is just trying to get the team to play the same kind of football from top to bottom and it's, it's early days yet but I think once the whole club starts to gel together and, and the whole partnership starts to kind of work uh, in tandem I think you will start to see uh, the results improve but I think it's maybe just a little bit too early to see any kind of it's it's too early a, um, a sample size to kind of measure just now so I think maybe come back to me in about a year and we might uh, be able to comment on how the, the club is, is developing under the, the current partnership that's it. And uh, moving on, I suppose, to the uh, the, the co-Ramblers camp and uh, how, what are, how are they looking ahead of tonight's game? Yeah, look, I mean, fair play to Shane Keegan. He's done a fantastic job when he's when he took over. Obviously, he's had experience with uh, the likes of Wexford Youth and he was assistant manager at Dundalk as well. So you've really got to give, him, give uh, Shane a, a lot of credit for uh, the job that, that, he's, um, that he's done. But... I think at the moment uh, for Shane, it's, obviously they had a, a, a bit of a loss last week after going on a, a bit of a um, a bit of a, a run there over the last couple of weeks. Um, if you're looking at the, the team news at the moment, I know they're missing a few players for tonight's match. Um, they're reading from a, a defeat last weekend. They're looking to get back on track tonight. Uh, they were beaten at home by Waterford last weekend, but they've uh, impressed for the most part of the year. They've got a, they've got one or two players to worry about. So the likes of Michael McCarthy and, and Brendan uh, Frehel remain doubts for tonight. However, you could see uh, 18-year-old Charlie O'Brien come into the team. He made his debut last week, and apparently he put in a really good performance. He's actually the younger brother of Irish under-21 international James uh, Jacob O'Brien, who's over in. Um, he's, he's over in, I uh, believe it's uh, Poland at the moment. Uh, 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 he's basically doing some, uh, he's getting some loan experience over there from Crystal Palace. So uh, he is definitely uh, a player to look out for tonight. Uh, on the injured list for co-programmers tonight is Jason Allard. And the players that are doubtful, as I mentioned, are Brendan Trehill uh, and Michael McCarthy. And of course, looking at the uh, looking at the um, at Lone Town as well, uh, they seem to be a, a, a they seem to have a clean bill of health. They've no injuries, no doubtfuls, and no one suspended. So that's uh, that, that that's good going into this game. And moving on now to uh, other news, and uh, Ireland under underage international Reese Byrne is set to join English Premier League side Newcastle United, and with Newcastle United. Um, you know, going so well this season so far. It's a, it's an exciting um, it's an exciting move for this player. Yeah, I mean, look, the, he's played a part in the Ireland Under 19s uh, squad this year, and he's also played in schools international. So, you know, I mean, he's he's got a good grounding in football. He came through the St Joseph's Boys uh, Academy uh, before joining the underage ranks with Bowles. So he's he's uh, he's got a good uh, education in football. So, look, it's uh, fantastic to see him get, get an opportunity like that. The only thing I would worry about, though, is just my own point of view is I would have liked to have seen him maybe stay a year or two longer and maybe get some first-team experience with Bohemians because generally, if you look at the track record of players who stuck around the league long enough, they managed to go on and get first-team football. 
Um, the other thing is, I'm not sure that Newcastle United are exactly a bastion of young play- uh, youth uh, promotion when it comes to uh, promoting young players. Um, although maybe I know Eddie Howe is looking to change that uh, over the next couple of years. So maybe that played a part in his thinking and his decision-making in terms of going to uh, Newcastle United. So mm-hmm. look, we'll have to wait and see. It is good to see players getting picked up from the League of Ireland uh, clubs. Obviously, it's a great opportunity for uh, the player, respawn to, to go over there and make an uh, impact. And it's good for the club as well because obviously... Uh, being signed up to Bohemians, they would have Newcastle would have had to uh, pay a, a decent chunk of money for the for the players. So, like we've seen it with Cork City, for example, over the last couple of months, the amount of players that they have uh, uh, managed to sell, particularly to Brighton, a number of their player young players have gone to Brighton, and uh, I know one of the players went to Crystal Palace, young six, uh, 18 year old Franco Ume, who has gone to uh, Crystal Palace as well. So. Again, it's it's um, it's it's nice to see the the clubs getting a some decent money uh, for the the youngsters that they're producing. So from that point of view, it's it's good news. But um, I would worry though personally that maybe he could it's too a bit too early for him to go over. And I'm not really sure that Newcastle is the uh, is the best team to go over when it comes to developing young players. But look, I stand to be corrected. Maybe in a year's time, he might pull a Gavin Bazunu and. Managed to get into the first team, I might, I could potentially be proved wrong there. That's it, and uh, well, I hope now after he going over, hopefully he will get his chance. And uh, you know, I suppose with, with them being in uh, in European football as well, it's it's it makes it all the more interesting. So you you never know. Some clubs, I suppose, are quicker to give uh, chances to younger players. But uh, Eddie Howe, as you said, you know, he might be he might be the type uh, a bit of, a bit of youth in the, in the squad is kind of good as well, and uh, give them even even just to be in the squad and at training and things like that and maybe get a few Carabao Cup matches or you know those kind of matches under his belt would be a great way for him to kind of put his name in the shop window for for selection Um, I know that maybe it's a bit close for uh, you know at at the moment that that wouldn't be until next season but uh, listen thanks very much for taking the time out to do uh, League of Ireland chat with us and we look forward to doing it again next week no problem, thanks very much and that was uh, Robbie Mulvey from Atlone Community Radio doing League of Ireland Chat Hello everyone, how are you doing? And you're very welcome to this week's uh, Last Word in Formula 1 with myself Aidan Rafferty and of course as always we have uh, the, the the most high profile Wexfordian that you can you, you can come across that is Michael O'Grady Hello Michael, how are you? Are you well? I'm not too bad at all, I have to admit though construction on this new, um, you know F1 Palace is going very slow at the minute, but we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, but perfection takes time, you know. Perfection does take time, and yeah. I agree with you on that. Uh, it's a Wexford now, so particular, so sometimes perfection yeah. takes like lifetimes. <laughs> You'll have to do like the Wexford colours there, maybe maybe put a, a Wexford GA jersey there somewhere just to prove that you're away, uh, from Wexford, you know. Oh no, no, I, I couldn't do that. I could start all all manner of uh, trouble, especially you with. Know, the, you know. with the Hill Kenny Brigade. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All sorts could happen. <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. And uh, but uh, yeah, so today will has kind of um, I suppose a techie feel to it uh, in what we're going to be talking about this week. I suppose uh, it's going to be like about the the cars in general and the tire the types of tires and uh, things yeah. like that and and some other interesting news and and events as well on top of that. 
Oh, there's always interesting news. But they did a little article this week on um, tyres, which I thought, that's not a bad idea because, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, oh, well, when did the tyres start or knowing about the tyres? And as well, there's been three kind of advancements this year, shall we say. Started late last year. I'm barreling on it this year. And I just spotted them and I thought, you know, it's a bit of interesting now to talk about that while we have no races because, as we know, we have to wait all the way to the end of the month for the Irish Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I yeah. tell you, I, 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 I will, I will have to be rerunning all Formula One races in there every night of the week. How are you going to survive? How are you going to survive until the end of the month? Oh, I know. Channel Four are going to stop showing the highlights shortly. I mean, there's just no point in being around. Well, that, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to show our our uh, our podcast. I think that's what they're going to have to do. To plug I it. think that's what they'll do. There is a special, a couple of specials I saw at the minute in Channel Four. If anyone wants to tune in, David Coulthard in an F one car against somebody else in a, uh, a superbike. I think I think it's a TV series. Um, right. Could be quite interesting because I remember the time um, David Coulthard went up against the, the Mercedes AMG top of the range high spec car. In his F1 car, and that was quite an interesting little effort there. I guess. What about what about what, the, what about that drag race between yourself and Coulthard there? That uh, down down the down the motorway in Wexford. Oh well, he couldn't get a dress to fit, so we couldn't do the drag race then. You know, it was all yeah. called off. Really, he just he doesn't have the legs for a dress anyway. Yeah, well, that's you know, that's true. Yeah, and what about yourself and Paul Egan? Oh well, now you know Paul. The man, the, the, man the, pe- the man that we we talk about, but the uh, the listeners and the the people that watch this uh, never never see. Well, we will actually have to see if the, if the if the Central Intelligence Agency gives us permission to talk about him more because we could be in trouble one of these days. <laughs> but no, I I wouldn't race against Paul. He's great. If you seen him rolling a pair of high heel shoes, I tell you, absolute magic. You'd, you'd swear he was in. He was just running. Cherry, it's a fire. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely amazing going down the road. So there's no point in that case in the drag race with him. He's just going to run away with it. Well, that's true, literally. Run away with it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the more sensible things. <laughs> I did see a little article this week, and I'm sure a lot of people, well, I don't know if it happened across it or not, because it was kind of in back of the net sort of area, if you get me. And it was the beginner's guide to Formula One tyres. Now, I found this very, very interesting in its own little way. That just gives you a little bit about it. And, of course, if you look back in history, that'll tell you an awful lot more about tyres too. For example, the tyres in the 50s and the 60s, they actually used to be, was it four or five? Hang on, I have information here. One, two, three, four, five suppliers of tyres in the 50s and the 60s. You had Dunlop, Engelbert, Firestone, Continental and Goodyear. Don't ask me who Engelbert were, but they're obviously a good tyre team. Um, Whereas these is... Well, we only have one tire supplier, really, or one tire manufacturer, which is. There companies going. There companies going places. Absolutely, I am telling you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why they switched to the one tire manufacturer because I think it was over really the debacle with the Ferraris years ago and the American Grand Prix with the banked corner. If a lot of people saw that race. Um, they do know that only like two Ferraris and two other cars actually entered the race because everyone else said their tires would could possibly explode in the high banks, which meant that um, uh, basically they brought the wrong tyres. Bridgestone, who Ferrari ran with, brought the right tyres to the race. So there was a bit of a debacle there because there was obviously an awful lot of American um, fans who didn't get to see a race. Now, they did get to see Michael Schumacher and um, I think it was Felipe Massa going around the Ferraris, and they weren't holding back anything at all. They were at each other, um, which was nice to see. 
But I suppose when you're paying 300 and something euros for a ticket for a weekend and you only get to see two cars race on race day, I can pretty understand why most people wouldn't be happy about that. Yeah, well, if you had had turned up there, that would have been three, so it would have been more interesting. Well, that's true. And uh, Paul refused to go on that day because, you know, he doesn't like that. They wouldn't wouldn't, uh, pay his appearance money. Well, no, no, no. He also has that issue with the banked corners, you know, ever since the shrapnel that time, you know, he sees banked corners and the lean and he, he tends to go that way like this a bit, you know. So, you know, that, that's another day's conversation. But, uh, you know, we, we can neither uh, uh, confirm or deny his uh, his his actions on, on that particular day mm. in a very foreign country and things like that. But anyway... <laughs> There's still an ongoing case going on there, you know. Oh, there is a very ongoing case going on, you know. Um, we do miss, I don't know about you, but I do miss the tyre war, I have to admit. There's a lot of things I do miss about Formula 1. Is it better because of it? I, I don't know. I, I think the tyre war was better because, you know, as the uh, Michael Schumacher was asked, you know, what tyres are you using today? Big, uh, big, big black round ones. So, I mean, you know, there was a bit more fun to it. There was a bit more cloak and dagger. You didn't exactly know what was going to go on. You couldn't say, well, lads, look, all the tyres will last around 20 laps, 25 if you're easy. Mm. You know, because you don't know what the other suppliers' uh, tyres are going to, how long they're going to last or what they're going to last. If if, if you compare, we say, the old tyres from years ago to the Mm. tyres now, which lasts longer? You'd imagine that the newer ones would, but sometimes... New doesn't always mean uh, things last longer. I mean, you know, anything that's made now doesn't usually last. Whereas, you know, you'd often hear about things that were made years ago and they were made to last. But, you know, certain things aren't anymore. Yeah, well, that's very true. The problem with tyres in the last while, um, since we got Mon Manufacture, is they're always struggling ways to slow Formula 1 cars down. That sounds absolutely insane. I know most people turn around and go, what? But it is actually true because the faster the cars get, theoretically, the more dangerous they get to a certain extent. Because it is very hard to drive one of those cars around the speed that they go around at now. Now, manufacturers, drivers, everyone wants the car to go faster. But as well, what happens when you let the cars go an awful lot faster is the guys who are behind, um, you know, the the, the Hasses and the uh, people like that, the Alpines, they get left behind because the bigger car manufacturers have more money to pump into research and development. The, the better people even doing it. You know, if you've Adrian Newey, who's probably the best sorry, aerodynamicist there is, and you give that guy an hour compared to some other guy an hour, you know, Adrian Newey's going to get more out of that hour than the other people will. And, you know, if you're a lesser team, you can't afford Adrian Newey. So, I mean... I suppose it's in a certain way to try and bring everybody back together again. But because of that, the tyres have been designed with wear in mind. So, yes, these tyres could go a lot longer. These tyres could probably go a lot faster. But no, they want wear disposability in mind, which is kind of, I suppose, a concept disposability. We've kind of come around in the last 20 years, maybe. But to me, if you can design a good tyre that lasts from start to finish, just depends on the driver. That'd be fine by me. I wouldn't have a problem with it. But... You know, that's the way to go. We, we've gone on to 18-inch tyres, of course, from 2022, and, and massive changes on the sort of technical background on them and things like that. Uh, Pirelli, what, they manufacture in more than 10,000 hours of indoor testing every year and 5,000 hours of simulations just for Formula 1 cars, nothing else. And they have... And, do you know another interesting one there, Michael, is, you know, how much does it cost to make... A oh, one tire. Oh, I, I said there'd be a few. I said there'd be a few. Uh, a few zeros after the first digit. 
I would say so. Now I'm going to have to. I'm going to. I'm going to look into that one. I'm going to find out yeah. if I can find it for next year. But if you think about it, that's that's what ten thousand hours of indoor testing, five thousand hours of simulation. Now this is an interesting one. Seventy virtually developed prototypes uh, to create thirty different specifications. Now virtually developed. That, that's an interesting one. Now I have to admit, I thought you know, tire being a it's very virtually much, dependable. It's virtually dependable. Yeah, it's virtually uh, made like. Is it as dependable as, you know, yeah, like... Yeah. Well, I mean, a tyre is a thing that touches the ground. You know, you, you know, it's great to be able to virtually develop it, but you're never really going to know what it's going to do until you put it on the side of a car and drive an angle. That, that, just, that just struck me as being very odd, I have to admit, you know. And uh, it says here, they're then tested by teams across more than 20,000 kilometres. How much money must it cost? For every tire, for you know, every every manufacturer to buy every year, there must be millions worth of tires here. You know that that sort of thing. That's that's one big animal. That's one big machine just to do that alone. You know, I mean, ten thousand hours of indoor testing. You nearly want to be running cars twenty four seven. You know yeah. yourself. Yeah. It would be absolutely just. It would be. I I have to admit, just. Absolutely crazy, really. There, there was a successful four seasons we know last year with the new rules and things like that. And Pirelli then now this year have introduced compound tweaks. Now, this is a thing that catches a lot of people because they all say, "Oh, do, you know, they used the soft tires last week. You know, why are they saying they've changed and used the soft tires this week?" That's the big thing about it, really it's a bad way to talk about it and a good way to talk about it because you know technically it is a different tire. Actually, it's probably nothing. Uh, to the common man and to you and me walking down the road, there is probably negligible of a difference whatsoever. It's a soft tyre. That is it. But there are slightly different compounds that go into each one to make it a little bit more abrasive or make it last a bit longer, uh, handle a bit better, all that sort of stuff. So there are different compounds, race and race, but people do tend to get hung up on that. And I wouldn't. A soft tyre is a soft tyre. The changes between the last track and this track could be just because there's massive temperature, could be just there's a lot of wear, um, could be just there's there's other problems on the track. The track is highly abrasive to to tyres. It's just to try and even them out so that, you know, if it did 15 laps the last track, well, it'll roughly do 15 laps this track too. Um, personally, I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> I think just give them the tyre. Well, I suppose it comes down to how, how it's been driven. So we say if you yeah, got one, if you got one car, right, and you put so you put uh, Max Verstappen in the in one in the car and he did the 52 laps, and then you put Lewis Hamilton in it, for example. And he did fifty-two laps. Well, they're two different drivers, so that the even though it's the same track, they they're kind of it's kind the to each driver would drive it in in a different way or in a different style. Or, or am I am I just uh, am I saying something wrong there? Or is oh, that... you're you're bang on the mark. If you put we say somebody Max Verstappen's known for being very aggressive. Uh, as a driver and very, 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 I mean, he will drive over you to get around you. He attacks everything. Now, he's incredibly quick, but that won't make your tyres last. Uh, you look at the likes of uh, a driver I was always very fond of, um, uh, world champion um, Jensen Button, smoothest driver on the track. You could tell this because when it rained, it didn't really bother him. He was still very, very fast and he didn't have to adjust his driving style very much, but he was very smooth, which means he didn't, he didn't wear the tyres as hard when he was driving. So Jensen could actually get five, six, seven laps more 
than other people around him out of a set of tyres and still have good speed. You know, so yeah, it does depend on the driver. It depends on how taxed he is at the time too, I suppose. If you're in the middle and there's cars all over the place, you're going to be driving very differently. But, you know, the the, the whole idea is to get a driver who's consistent, like Jensen Button, uh, good on his tyres and fast because being good on your tyres doesn't always mean fast. It's like everything. If you're going from Roscommon to Athlone, on the back roads, we say, for example, and you're putting the foot into the road and you're going to now I, I'm not condoning this it's only I'm only using this as an example I'm not telling anyone don't, don't try this at home <laughs> exactly don't try this at all but if you're putting the foot in the whole time and you're taking the road hard then you get a corner you have to really put your foot on the brakes mm. whereas you know if you're cruising along and you're not going too fast you're not going too slow and you hit a corner you might not even need to touch the brakes at all therefore you are actually using your tyres less you're less wear on your tyres your tyres will last longer and that's exactly the way it is with drivers in Formula One. You know, it is, it just, if you're a smoother driver, if you use your brakes less, if you use your brakes less less harshly, you know, um, you will basically have less wear on your tyres. I mean, for me, if I see a traffic light coming up um, and I'm, there's nothing in front of me, I'm going up to the traffic light, it's red, everyone's stopped, I just ease off the accelerator and let the car slow itself down a bit before I use the brakes rather than drive up further and then have to use the brakes quite hard. It's, it's, it's easier on the brakes as well. It's easier on the brakes too. I, my, my, my current pair of brakes are four years, brake pads are four years old, no sign of wearing yet. So <laughs> I'm doing something right. <laughs> Not quite sure what it is, but I'm doing something right. <laughs> That's amazing. But with, the tires, with these new 18-inch uh, tires, here, there is six slick compounds, which is, you know, from the softest to the hardest, I suppose, you know, the race tires go from C0 all the way up to C5. Now, the intermediates are full wets. Yeah, there's no real, nothing with them really. There's, you know, they are full wets, full intermediates. That's it. They don't get used an awful lot. They don't put as much thought into them. I mean, that's fair enough, really. With, with those tires, you know, C0 being the best tire to be on, as in it's going to run very quick, but it's going to wear very quick. And then C5 is a hard compound, which is going to run a little bit slower, but you're going to go, you could close on twice the distance in them quite mm. easily. So, you know, with the compounds themselves, don't get head up on the fact that they're bringing different soft compounds to each one. It's just there is hard, intermediate and uh, soft. That's basically all there is. They may have five compounds. They only bring three on the day. Um, why exactly they only bring three? I'm not quite sure. It doesn't actually tell me that here in the little guide I'm looking at, which I thought was... Um, you know, a bit unusual. <laughs> but I suppose just the, just the decision on um, the choice of tyre, I suppose, it, it does kind of hinge on two things. I suppose it has to suit the driver, but it also has to suit the conditions or, or the track as well. And like, yeah, weather's yeah. going to be like. It gets a bit kind of uh, closer, I suppose. If you were to use the two soft compounds closest to each other as soft and intermediate, which could happen, I don't remember it ever happening, but it is a possibility. Um, mm. You know, suddenly they're really close to each other, so suddenly the second one might suit one guy and the first one might suit the other guy, depending on how they're driving. For example, if the second one was, uh, you know, the first guy was going on it, he was a smooth driver, he might go for the first compound, whereas a harsh driver might go for the second compound because it lasts a little bit longer. So it really, it really depends on how close the compounds are. As a general rule, you know, if you can keep the speed up and not pit, that's all the better. And it's something I do miss about Formula 1 too is refueling. Um, I know we had a couple of refueling accidents and that's why they got rid of it in the end. But, I mean, you know, when you look back at it, no one really got badly hurt and everything was pretty good and they had lots of regulations. 
it, it kind of missed a lot because now you're coming out, you're faster on a new tyre. But the cars, you know, when, before when you're refueling, the car was heavier too. So that was slowing you down. So if you could stay out longer on the tyres, the car was lighter and the car would go faster. So it was a little bit more unpredictable than it is now. But, but that's that's the way they're going, really. In 2023, there are kind of, there, there, there is a feature, revised qualifying format. It's actually out there for the purpose of evaluating um, revisions and subsequent information on tyres. And this means tyre compounds, like, you know, they're, they're given, you know, the usual three-part qualifying session um, and things like that for all the tyres. And... Um, the RQF events, each driver can use no more than 11 sets of dry tyres, right? That's there are slight reductions on the year before, but if you use all your dry tyres, well, then you're going out in a used pair of tyres, you know? So qualifying is the biggest problem with that because, you know, if you're trying to get the faster lap and the faster lap and get in there and get in there, you could easily use three sets of brand new tyres um, to do that. You've already used a, a set of brand new and qualifying one, a set of brand new and qualifying two, and now you're using three and qualifying three. So 11 sets sounds like an off. It isn't. They run very quickly. And I suppose I there, therein is, is a point, Michael, as in, um, you, you know, with, with regards to tyres, the tyres yeah. they use in qualifiers, do, do they use the same tyres then when it comes to the actual race or how is that decided? And is it the tire, Is it the, um, the driver that can decide on the tyres or is it the engineer's? Um, well normally it's a combination of both normally I would say the engineers have a big say on what goes on to them tyres the engineers know the car better than the drivers do uh, to a certain extent you know the drivers know themselves so you have to kind of figure out exactly what they want with that yeah there is with the qualifying session the hard tyres only in Q1 which is you know it's a strange restriction but I suppose maybe to a certain extent it's to slow cars down uh, for Q1 to make Q3 uh, more interesting. Q2 is only medium tyres. Actually, this is something I'd say a lot of people don't know. Uh, and then Q3 soft, Q2 medium, and Q1 hard, which does make the cars go faster um, as they go along, as to say. you know. After that, well then, you know, after that, you have what tyres you have left. If you use your tyres, you use your tyres. Uh, and that's it, simple as that. But it is a, an unusual situation that they're trying to ramp up the qualifying by using, you know, better tyres each time. Um, and a lot of people, I suppose, that's something I took for granted, but a lot of people might know. But again, you know, sometimes it, it, it depends on the situation because sometimes scrub tyres, as they call them, or slightly, slightly used tyres, um, can be beneficial in many ways because sometimes on some tracks you get out in your new tyres and you have to get temperature to your new tyres and they're lovely, they're beautiful, they just come out of the blankets and off you go and it takes a bit of time to get heat into tyres like that. Now, it's grand. Most tracks are absolutely fine but some tracks are not massively abrasive in the way they're done so it takes longer to get the heat into the tyres. So if you were well, It's all a, about getting grip as well. The, that, that grip between the, the road, the, between the track and the tyre as well. That's exactly it. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to put heat into that tire to get the grip, to get the tire up to running temperature to get it. Now, if you have a scrub pair of tires, the surface isn't as smooth. There is a little bit of roughness on the surface already. So that tire actually does get up to temperature faster. The only thing is it won't last as long. So in certain situations, there can be a moment where scrub tires, mildly scrub tires, um, are better to use than brand new tires on the side of the car. It's... 
you'll see it on an odd occasion, doesn't happen all the time. But I mean, with last week's fiasco anyhow in Australia and pit stop after pit stop and red flags and stuff like that, you never know. Someone could have thought, this is not a bad idea now. Why don't I change the scrub rather than you? So the temperature's getting getting in there quickly, you know? So really depends on the situation, as I say. Moving on to the little... Um, technical parts there I saw during the week um, there's a couple of little interesting little bits I saw on the car which makes them quite good at the minute um, there's end plates I don't know if you can see this I'm going to hold it up here to the camera and see what you can see there's little end plates on the side of the front oh, yeah, of the yeah. car now the bottom one is the end plates as per what the FIA want and the top one is something that Mercedes did last year, which they have now allowed, which is kind of a, a little cut at the top of it, as if it's sweeping in. The end plate is supposed to be flat in one piece, but they've kind of allowed that. Now, now this is this is the reason this really interested me, um, because another issue with that was further on the line, I found out about rolled end plates, rolled wing end plates. Now, if you look at this guy here, and you see this little rolled piece here. This was oh, something that Aston Martin did last year. Now, it was basically they wanted to get rid of the sharp edges on the back wing that create the vortices so the cars could travel closer together. But, of course, you know, uh, as it is, we all got rid of, but Aston Martin decided, no, 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 I know a way to get around that. And they did. Now, that particular design was outlawed because it wasn't correct. Now, the thing was the front, the front... Um, the front end plate, as you saw, the cutouts were left in it and are still there. Now, this was a very interesting situation for me because I noticed that there was a bit of a tip off the FIA there, and I'm just kind of looking for it here now, that basically they said, um, for the next year, say, but in most cases, the solution we don't like, which is more comfortably on the legal side, um, is what they normally go for, right? Um, but we can't we can't change the regulations unilaterally. We have to follow the governance. If we don't manage to get enough support from teams, we have to accept solutions which stay on. Now, that is the most curious little statement I've heard in a long time, because basically what they're saying is, yes, it's illegal, but no one wants to take it away, so okay, now it's legal. It's <laughs> right. a bit of a strange situation, and that's why it's a bit, it's a bit like referee. It's a bit like the rules of Gaelic football or hurling. The rules Absolutely. are there, but they're not always followed. Absolutely. So you, you, you've the Mercedes adapter. To it's the open end to interpretation. It is. Dirtying <laughs> little slots in it so that air can come out of it in a certain way, which is obviously aerodynamically beneficial, but does not make the end plate one piece anymore. Um, and the regulation said it does. And then you had um, sort of Aston Martin with their little circular section creating the vortices again, but giving the car better aerodynamics. And that wasn't allowed because basically Aston Martin went, OK, all right, lads, we'll change that then. Um, so it does seem like a very strange situation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> very, very funny. I suppose we'll, uh, our, as our time is pounding on, we'll probably head on to news. Um, there was a few things going on last week. Uh, one of them is kind of snowballing a bit. You remember last week we, we, we made a mention of the fact that um, Toto Wolf had said that, that you know, he was worried over that mind-boggling pace of uh, Red Bull, which was like saying, you know, hey, lads, what's going on here? And as we said, pot calling Kettle Black and all that. Mm. Well, it's now got on that there has been a little bit of a, a mention from George Russell, and Christian Horner has now 
responded to that because George Russell has insinuated basically the Red Bull are sandbagging and they're not going as fast as they could in the last race. Now, you know, Christian Horner, he was joking about the, the George Russell being very generous about the car, uh, you know, but uh, I mean, to a certain extent, he has said it and, and, and I can understand, you know. But you know, you'd have to, it would beg the question as to why. Well, it would beg the question as to why, yes. Because, I mean, okay, Max was scampering off into the distance. No one's arguing with that. But what do you do when you get a good lead? You yeah. kind of turn the car down a little bit. You take it a little bit. E- now, when I say a little bit easier, maybe 1%, a little bit easier. So you don't run the car at full capacity because you don't need to. And there is engine restrictions and parts restrictions. You don't want to blow anything. So you turn it back a little bit. So that's kind of obvious that happens. But, I mean, if... The Red Bull was running, had so much more to give. Wouldn't Sergio Perez have been on top of him by the end of the race? Which he wasn't. So, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd situation. I, I, I can't guess as to whether the finger was pointed quite definitely at Mercedes um, in the hybrid era came out when they took over Hamilton because the car was just so fast all of a sudden. With mm. 200 hours extra testing, it was a half a lap ahead. Um, now all of and a sudden, in that case, who would you point the finger at, the car or the driver? Um, point a finger at the car and um, and uh, a bit of a, bit of a brown envelope if you ask me <laughs> because they shouldn't have had two hours extra testing and mm. it was all bushed under the carpet. There was rumours Ferrari were threatening to walk um, because they said they can't compete with that which proved they couldn't. Uh, you know but um, in this situation it's kind of you know are we trying to point this way to deflect from something that way? I'm not quite sure but you know we know Red Bull last year won and a difficult year, or you will ask your one, the year before it was a difficult year, and the year before they were sort of behind them the whole time. So there is a progression of the cars. So you can't really say they got a leg up or they just suddenly went, boom, they didn't. Mercedes did that. They went from mid-ground to half a lap ahead of everybody. You know, so there had to be something specific there, as to say. But look, ours is not the reason why. Ours is just to say that's a bit unusual for you to say there, lads. Um, calm down a little bit. That's right. <laughs> There has been, uh, Ferrari have petitioned the FIA for a review of Carlock Sainz's um, penalty in Australia, his five-second penalty, which I think they should. That's that a is, huge you know, penalty, is, isn't it? We were saying that last week. Yeah, and it's only because you've restarted the race. It was massive. If it was at the end of a race and he got five seconds, he might have lost one or two places, but like, he lost a dozen places nearly, well, half dozen places anyway, because it was a restart. You know, So if everyone was going back to where they were, you can't give a guy a penalty because of what happened afterwards. You have to go back to where they were and give the penalty with maybe a grid grid uh, grid place. Sounds like it was week. given in her in um, in haste. Exactly, and I don't think it should have been really. To be quite honest with you, I think it's you know you should have been given a slap on the wrist, maybe a two or three place grid penalty next race. But I think that five seconds was just too much, or five seconds was just too much on a restart. That was just way too much so we'll wait and see what happens with that but um, Ferrari or anyhow they're banging discs and, and giving out and they've thrown Teddy out of the cot and you know this is all going to happen or they're going to pout a bit more <laughs> it's as simple as that um, there's a couple of things actually on Aston Martin were going up and a couple of people including Lars Barretta of um, uh, F1.com has been writing quite immensely about how good they're doing at the minute the real interesting thing is you know I don't think anyone in Aston Martin really expected it to be as big as it was. 
Uh, but it is. But the one thing that they're saying currently at the minute, well, Lawrence is, Aston Martin aren't there, of course, being very tight-lipped, is there's actually plenty more to come. So we'll see what happens with Aston Martin on that one. That could <laughs> yeah. Uh, Toto Wolf is confident, by the way, that Hamilton will extend his Mercedes contract uh, at the end of the year. Uh, yeah, there was that silly little question with uh, someone put to Christian Horner about Lewis Hamilton. Um, you'd wonder if that was fishing or not. But hey, look, there you go. Mick Schumacher could be back next year. Um, we're going back a bit there because as we know, yeah, he was he was sent off by Steiner and Haas because, but it was mainly because they said he did a good job but they needed a US driver to carry the team forwards. And now he's a reserve driver for Mercedes. But he's already had some interesting parties. So, he could be back for 2024. Interesting. You heard it here first, folks. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. First here, first <laughs> here. <laughs> Has to be true, so. Rossafan exclusive. <laughs> Has to be true, so. Um, also, there was another old driver that might return and has been given a hint. Um, Danny Ricciardo could, one of these days, by Christian Horner, return in a Red Bull car. Um that could be an interesting situation. I still think Danny's hard done by. I, I, I think Danny deserved more than he actually got. Um, he's a better driver than I think he are, and he doesn't get credit for it. Um, so I'd love to see Danny back in F1 again. It would be just incredible rather than a reserve driver, you know. So, I mean, gone but not forgotten. Mick Schumacher, Danny Ricciardo, two good drivers, gone but not made. Perhaps we need another Formula 1 team in. Perhaps this is Paul Egan. Yeah, perhaps this is Paul's thing. Egan F one. He's always wanted to do it. I mean, there you know. go taking taking what? over from uh, yeah yeah. It'd be uh, well, again. Watch the space. This is the the watch the space uh, section of the. <clears throat> the watch the space section. I'm to watch this space. Um, yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. Still a touch for cold. Uh, and his new uh, advanced Morris Minor engine is supposed to be very good, actually. So you know. Sticking that in an F1 car could get somewhere. You can't get much more top than the Morris Minor. You can't get, I'm telling you, you can't do much better than that, as they say, you know. (laughs) Um, Another quick one this week Zane Maloney. Um, He is uh, an F3 world champion now, Formula 3, which is, you know, a little bit normally go Formula 2 and that, but he has been signed up as a reserve driver for Red Bull. uh, from here onwards for F1 from 2024 onwards. So um, that's an interesting situation Consider Danny Ricciardo's an, a reserve driver for F1 and um, and there's been hints he might be returning to F1. So it's a little interesting little situation. Perhaps we're reading things that aren't there. <laughs> I'm sure look at you never are. They might, you might be prophesizing. Might be prophesizing. Perhaps we're looking in between Big two words. bars yeah. yeah, perhaps we're looking between two bars of chocolate, seeing the silver tin foil when it actually isn't silver tin foil, it's only one bar of chocolate. But who can say? Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh listen, that's great. So thanks very much for taking the time out to uh to do last word on Formula One and we look forward to uh talking to you again next week. And um, what will we be covering next week? Aha, uh-huh. well we'll be covering the news as usual. There will not there will not be a race. But I was thinking of looking back on a driver in which, oh, talk about charismatic. I was thinking of looking back at uh, Alain Prost and uh, going through the life of Alain Prost a wee bit, if that suits it. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, a good driver. Yeah, very good driver. And uh, 
you know, it's a, a bit of a legend at this stage, I suppose, was a, to, uh, in, a, in a lot of cases, you know, a bit of a legend. So we have to cover the legends every now and again, don't oh, we? Oh, well, sure, this is it. I mean, we, we already cover you and, and Paul Egan, so there you go. Yeah. Both, uh, here's one for you, uh, just to let the listeners know out there as well. And uh, the the Ross FM 50-50 draw um, yes. there last Friday, but now it has gone online, so you don't have to do oh. use the... Um, Use the envelopes. Um, you can just click on the link on the website rossfm.ie, and you you can now uh, pay for uh, doing the fifty-fifty uh, draw online, which is an awful lot handier from anywhere yeah. in the world. Um, so you don't have to go into the local shops in Roscommon to get them. You can get them anywhere in the world. So uh, and you could be in. The, it, it's kind of split the pot. You, you know, you, half of it goes to the dry, oh, half of it goes to the winner, and half of it uh, goes towards the expenses of the station. So uh, it's uh, it's just a, a great way of getting out there, and it makes it an awful lot easier for listeners or anyone that's uh, that that wants to enter the draw. Yeah, well, I think community radio is very important. I think people should enter the draw because I think it's a great system. They don't realize that you know nobody on you know on Ross FM and community radio station makes any money. We're there doing it for the sheer fun of doing it. And you're there doing it because, well, people enjoy listening to it. People enjoy listening to local people talking about local things and local interests. There you go. And uh, people people like yourself talking about Formula One or people like us talking about Formula One. So uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks very much for that, Michael. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. No problem. Talk to you again, Aidan. No problem, thanks very much. And that was Michael O'Grady, our Formula One expert. Hello everyone and you're welcome back to Friday Sport with myself Aidan Raftery and the show is as always kindly sponsored by uh, Best Drive here in Roscommon Town and just once again just finally to uh, give you um, a, a community notice there the Vintage Car and Tractor Run uh, is on this Sunday the 16th of April at 1.30 uh, starting from Kilbride Community Centre and uh, registration is at 12.30 and there's a raffle afterwards as well and all proceedings go all proceeds go to um, Squalbridge Squalbridge um, Parents Association who are trying to uh, raise funds for a sensory garden so what what better things uh, what uh, better uh, funding could you give for them for that it's a, a very worthy cause so why not go along on the day and uh, support that event so uh, unfortunately we've come ac- we've come to the end of the show we hope you enjoy everything that we've had on the show today um all show all interviews on the show are available both um as uh, videos on my youtube channel at AR sports therapy clinic and also on Anchor, just look up uh, Aidan Raftery or um, Friday Sport and JVU and uh, all the interviews are there and JVU is on every week from 10 to f- from um, 10 o'clock until 11 and the show is podcast and available on uh, Spotify 